Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Schechtman. For better or for worse, particularly those of us here in the Bay Area, have come to think of science in rather utilitarian terms. A better phone, a better app, a better car. In fact, science, especially the realm of theoretical physics, is or should be the real lens through which we see the world. For it's our understanding of the universe around us that really shapes how we see our place in it, and that, more than the latest gadget, shapes our times. It's why we need to understand that world, and why we need guides along the way like Stephen Hawking and my guest, Christophe Gelfard. Christophe Gelfard holds a Ph.D. in theoretical physics from Cambridge, where he was supervised by the renowned physicist Stephen Hawking. He's the co-author with Hawking and Hawking's daughter of the book George's Secret Key to the Universe. In the past several years, he's given talks about the universe, which were attended by more than 300,000 people. And it is my pleasure to welcome Christophe Gelfard here to talk about his newest book, The Universe in Your Hand, A Journey Through Space, Time, and Beyond. Christophe, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you here. First of all, talk a little bit about why, in your view, it is so important for us to understand, to have a working understanding, at the very least, of the universe around us and a little bit about our place in it. Well, the first thing that is amazing is that we actually can understand some of it. That that was not for sure. That that was not something that we could take for granted maybe a million, a thousand or two thousand years ago. Nobody had a clue that things could be understood. And then little by little, um, our ancestors realized that there were laws in nature. If you shoot an arrow, for instance, you, you never see the arrow stop midway, midair and turn around and shoot back to hit you. It never happens. Why? Because there are laws in nature. And just out of curiosity, it is something that we can figure out. We can figure out these laws. And so for, for hundreds of years, our ancestors have managed to figure out a lot about them. And that, that was the beginning. Today, we, we have some, some new tools, even in our minds, even if you don't even talk about experiments, even in our minds, we have some new tools to understand and to see things that are beyond our senses. That gives us uh, a way to figure out exactly what you said, our place within this reality that surrounds us. I, I believe uh, that it's something that makes you feel good to understand your place in, in the universe, even though you, you may realize that you're quite tiny in it. But it does feel good not to be surrounded just by mysteries, but also by marvels that we humans are able to decipher. I don't know if that answers your question, but there is something amazing in the fact that we can understand what's going on around us. And you were talking in your introduction about all these um, devices, electronic devices that we use every day and that we can somehow define as our technology. But all these devices, they're, they're based on an understanding of reality that was figured out about a hundred years ago. Without it, we wouldn't have today our devices. The theoretical research that physicists do gives us a potentially new technology for tomorrow, even if you, we don't know what that technology might be as of today. I think that's exciting, don't you? Yes, and take us back a hundred years and to the point of Einstein's theory of relativity and some of the other understandings that came a hundred years ago that really have enabled the world that we live, live in today. 
Yeah, you see, the, for, for hundreds of years, since Isaac Newton, basically, the, the understanding we had of nature and reality pretty much matched our intuition. The way things fly, the way, the way things fall, the reason why you do not cross a wall if you run into one, that you crash, all, all these things, they, they, they are, the world behaves as our intuition uh, dictates it should. But about a hundred years ago, a century ago, that changed completely because we managed to reach realms of reality that we cannot reach with our senses. We, we reach them through technology and things like that. One of the things I explain to, to, to all the, those people I, I see is that we humans are not that big, right? We are huge compared to the microscopic world. We are tiny compared to the stars and galaxies, we somehow float in between two infinities and we are there. To imagine, to believe that the laws of nature are the same everywhere, that our, our five senses that allow us to survive uh, on a daily basis would give us an understanding of the universe throughout the scales, that would be rather pretentious, I think. And actually, it would be wrong. A hundred years ago, we managed to have a look at the microscopic world. We managed to see things that our eyes can't see, things too small for them to be detected by, by our senses. And there we discovered a, a, a new nature, a nature with, with laws that do not that defy our imagination and that actually build our reality. One of them is called the quantum physics. And that gave us, uh, 100 years later, everything that works with electrons, with all, all electronic devices. They're based on, what, on the laws of nature from that particularly small world that, that, it, that you can find everywhere. If you zoom in your own hand, you will end up in the quantum realm. One of the things that you point out is that it's possible to understand all of this without visualizing it just through the mathematics, which is certainly the way many physicists look at the world, but really by looking at it in terms of imagery that we can understand. I agree with that. Actually, that's a sentence that Professor Hawking said to me a, a long time ago, that, and, and I think he wrote it in his uh, book, uh, Brief History of Time as well, which is that... Uh, a theory that is correct eventually can be understood by everybody, the, the, even without the mathematics. What he meant by that is that the basic principles that seem to rule reality stated well are simple enough for them to be understood by, by everyone. And, and that, that's something I'm very, I, I agree 100% with. The, the difficulty is to turn some abstract mathematics into a story. For, for the first person who discovers something new, that's hard. But if you give a few years, then people get used to it. And then the intuition about the world changes. And then it becomes normal. Just let me give you the example of a, of a round earth. If you were saying, telling someone uh, 2,000 years ago that the earth was round, nobody would believe you because it was too deeply anchored in, our, in, in the intuition of the humans by then that the earth was flat. And when you look around you, yourself, nothing tells you that it is not flat, because it is too big compared to yourself. And now we've been to space. 
we've taken pictures, we've seen other planets, so we know intuitively that it's true, that the Earth is round. I, I believe it's the same for even the most abstract topics. Even the Big Bang, the fact that the universe may have had a beginning somewhere, somehow, somewhere in the past, that's something nobody would have believed a few, a few even a hundred years ago. No one. Now, that's the common imagination. There is a degree to which all of these theories and all of these discoveries instinctively build on each other, that, that really, to the extent that you go back through the history of all of these, it makes it easier to understand, to look at the way in which each is layered on to the next. I agree that they, they are all layered on uh, each other. That, that's correct. I'm not sure it makes it comp much more easier to go through the whole history of it. Um, uh, in, this, uh, in this book, in, in the universe in your hand, I, I do mention the works of past giants, but uh, I try to get the reader to dip straight into what we know today. There is this idea that uh, you can somehow define uh, uh, an epoch, an era in, uh, of humankind through what they scientifically know. If, if you have a, some extra, um, um, let me take you on a flight of fancy for a mm -hmm. second. Imagine that some um, extraterrestrial beings arrive in, in two million years and they dig up the earth and find out the newspapers, the textbooks from each period from each era, they, they could reconstruct uh, the history of humanity through those textbooks, through what was known. Now, the other thing where you're absolutely right is that you do need the previous theory to find out a new one, because theoretical physics begins where, where what you know doesn't work anymore, where there are mysteries. So to figure out something new, something bigger, you need to dwell into the mysteries of the past theories. That, that's, that's one way to see that you necessarily need previous theories to, to make a move. Let me give you a concrete example for what may come up in the future. Today, we have a rough estimation of what our universe, uh, our universe contains. And basically, the matter we are made of, the matter we know the, that we can detect, that are uh, that every that all the matter we know of, is about four between four and five percent of the total contents of our universe. Then you have to add twenty-five percent of what is called dark matter, and then seventy-five percent or seventy between seventy and seventy-five percent of what is called dark energy. The dark matter, so, so it means that everything we know is basically 4 or 5% of everything there is. But the fact that there is a 95% unknown was not known before we figure out that these mysteries existed. So we have a, a new place to look at, a new theory to find, a new reality to discover, because the past theories, and I'm talking about general relativity, for instance, told us, showed us, that there is something more, that there is more to the universe than what we see. I guess the other part of the question is the degree to which there are still complete mysteries that we don't understand. That in many ways, as you, I listen to you talk about it, it can be divided up into the known unknown and the unknown unknown. That's right. That's correct. That, that's what makes it so exciting. Uh, people have been 
predicting the physicists themselves have been predicting the end of physics for centuries but the more we go the bigger the mysteries we discover the, the we unravel the the mysteries are larger at, at every new uh, theory that is found every theory has its mysteries and the one that we have now are huge really huge and that, that makes it a very exciting time for, for students and, and young people to, to, to dip into these problems and this kind of a, of a career move, maybe. Are there certain fundamental principles at this point that can apply to even the things that, that we don't know, that if we look at some of the fundamentals of space and time, that there are certain cosmological, physical rules that really are the basis for everything else? I may be completely wrong if I just answer that question. <laughs> just by answering, I may, I, may, I may get it wrong. But let me give you another example. In, in the 1970s, uh, there was this same discovery by, by Professor Hawking again, that black holes in outer space were not that black, that, people, that, that things could get out of them. That, that they, the, the technical term is that they evaporate. Just like a glass of water you would have, it evaporates after a while, and then there is no water left in your glass. And it, it was, it was the, he discovered that it's the same with, the, with black holes, roughly speaking. But the problem is that what came out of the black hole has no link with what fell in in the first place, meaning that <coughs> some information was kind of bleached, that it went away from the universe. That's not something physicists like. But to get the information back, they have to give up on some of the basic principles. So they have to give away some of the principles they cherished. And uh, maybe that's what needs to be done with the mysteries we have now. In many ways, understanding some of these fundamentals of, of quantum theory and quantum mechanics enables us to understand the larger universe. Talk about it on, on the other side, really understanding the smaller universe that's around us and that we interact with. That's the weirdest one of all. <laughs> the, even though general relativity is somehow counterintuitive as well, it deals with planets and uh, things we can see even though it deals with time as well, and time is tricky. But the, the quantum world is very different. The, um, the idea, the picture we can have in our minds of um, atoms, for instance, the smallest particles there are, uh, fundamental particles, we, we can somehow picture them in our minds like small dots that move around like extremely tiny balls. But that's not the case. There are, other, um, there are other ways to look at these uh, fundamental entities that have been invented, which get rid completely of the idea of uh, a particle being at a certain place at a certain time uh, with a given velocity, with a given speed. The rules of the very small are just different, and that's something we have to get used to. As I was telling you before, uh, it, it would be pretentious to try and, um, and, and make an analogy all the time with what we feel. The, the universe is huge, quantum physics is in the extremely small, and the, the laws down there are just different. But we, we found them, and that's exciting. When we look at something like string theory, talk about how that fits in 
to this larger framework that we're talking about? Okay, so let's put it this way. Um, we have, as of today, two theories that work extremely well. One that explains space and time, like the, 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 the way our universe um, on, on large scales works, and that's general relativity. That takes care of gravity, which is one of the four forces of nature. Then you have the other three forces, which are explained by quantum physics. The problem is that even though they work extremely well to, to levels of uh, precision that we've never reached before, those two theories don't have the same notions of space and time. They, they just don't want to talk to each other. So we know that either one, either both, or just one of them, probably both, are not complete. That something needs to be added to probably both of them to get a bigger theory that encompasses everything and that could explain quantum physics and gravity at the same time. And string theory is one such attempt. And it does need you, uh, re it does need you to give up some of the things you might have cherished, like the fact that we live in a four-dimensional universe. That's not the case in string theory. There are hidden dimensions in the very small, for instance, and it is the wiggling of these extra dimensions, to put it roughly, roughly again, that gives rise to the particles we are made of, to gravity and all the forces that make particles interact. Now, string theory is one funny theory, because even though it is mathematically extraordinarily beautiful, it has yet to come up with a, a single prediction. It is so uh, hard to make one that they, the physicists working on that theory haven't yet made some. It doesn't mean they won't, but as of today, they haven't. And so that attempt to add more dimensions and consider that what is fundamental in our universe is not just tiny dots, but tiny strings made of uh, different dimensions, maybe by using that uh, new principle, they will manage to, to explain some of those mysteries I was mentioning to you before. This notion of trying to find a theory of everything, trying to, to bring all of this together, both large and small, into a single theory of everything. Talk a little bit about that and the realistic nature of that. The realistic nature, I'm not sure I can answer that so easily, but um, there is something about intuition again. For, for, as of today, as I said to you before, there are uh, four forces in nature. One that deals with big things like gravity and the other that deals that deal with the, um, um, the, the forces in the very small, the ones that stick the atomic nucleus together, the ones that make uh, electromagnetism, radioactivity and things like that. The, the, those are three forces. So, so why four? You, you'd expect, if, if you're allowed to have an opinion, I, I guess you'd say one is more natural than four, <laughs> or why four or not seven, or 233 or whatever. So because that number four comes out of nowhere, scientists believe that they must somehow be the same force, be, originate from one force that split into four a long time ago when the conditions of our everywhere in our universe were much more extreme. 
and they started doing this in a, a, a long time ago and they managed to 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 unify some of these forces already they've managed to to unify some in the quantum realm for instance electromagnetic electromagnetism and radioactivity we know they were part of one force a long time ago that split because the universe was less hot and less dense so that makes just three instead of four and they kind of managed to 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 join in the 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 last the, the third quantum force that makes one quantum thing and one gravity thing so we're we're left with two forces let's say the last step the last step would be to unify those two into one what they call a theory of everything a theory that would explain with one equation or one principle everything that is around us i think it's a beautiful goal and i i'm i'm even inclined to believe that we may achieve that goal uh, someday if, if we haven't already yet without knowing it that that would be cool but i'd rather have something new coming up uh, in 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 the in, in the years to come but this yeah this quest for unification comes from the idea that why four forces and not just one one being somehow more natural than four how fast are things moving in the realm of theoretical physics now how fast are we uncovering new ideas and new theories and new information right now again that that's a that's a difficult question to answer from within it if you'd ask me how fast was physics doing was theoretical physics moving 10 or 15 years ago that's easier to answer because we have the we have 10 years of uh, of uh, checking proofs uh, different ways to approach different problems to, ex- to to check what is being done right now it's a bit more tricky but uh, that being said, there is there is this um, string theory has been around for for a long time now since let let's say the mid 80s. There is another uh, um, attempt at uh, unifying, which is <coughs> oh sorry, m- maybe not unifying, but making a quantum theory of gravity, which is called the uh, loop quantum gravity, whatever that means. That th- those two theories haven't quite managed to successfully address uh, or, or come up with a, a, an experiment that could be could lead to some checks, some proofs of experimental proofs. They haven't yet. Does that mean they're wrong? That they're not the right theories we're looking for? Or does, does it just mean that even though we have those theories, we are not yet ready to know how to use them? I don't, I don't have the answer to that. I, I don't quite. I don't know. There are positive and uh, exciting progresses that have been made. Even just in string theory, the the the, the amount of of discoveries, mathematical mostly, you know, that have been made thanks to this theory is enormous. Um, any of these are related to to the real world? I have no idea, and no one does. We don't know. Christophe Gelfard, his book is The Universe in Your Hand, A Journey Through Space, Time, and Beyond. Christophe, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. And thank you very much. Thank I'll be you, right back. Thank you so much.